0: Hey everyone, this is heart for the co-host of Lightspeed, Blockwork's newest show. We just launched this podcast a few weeks ago. We're already on episode nine, and we had Anatoly, the founder of Solana, come on. He's one of the smartest people in the space. It's our most downloaded episode yet. We talk about Solana's in-game, integrated versus modular blockchains, decentralization, and a whole lot more. I think you're really going to love this episode. If you do, I put some links in the show notes to check out Lightspeed, where you can subscribe. We come out with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. All right get to the episode.
1: If we're limited by bandwidth right now, in two years there's going to be twice as much. Maybe we'll need twice as many cores to drive it because there's twice as much data to sign and cryptographically verify. But these are all Moore's Law problems that just kind of solve themselves. But what we need to make sure in the design is that we can always increase the bandwidth. Like if we, if the if the network capacities go to 100 gigabit in like four or five years at every data center, there kind of are and in a bunch of them already, then Solana could run at a hundred gigabit. We don't really care. (laughs) Like we shouldn't be limited by the design. We should be limited by the hardware. If you kind of design around that, you have a very, very scalable system. It's very elastic to demand up to that limit of hardware. That's really the final bottleneck. And I think we've done a pretty good job with the design because what I see is that the Fire Dancer folks, without having to make any design changes, are showing much higher throughput by just doing straightforward, okay, you guys had to ship this thing as fast as you could, let us rewrite it in in a better, more scalable kind of just raw software architecture way. And and they can really demonstrate that all the components can, can scale very elastically with hardware.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we are joined by Anatoly from Solana. Anatoly, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, we are pumped to have you on. Um, I've been studying more and more about Solana, and every time I do, I get more excited. Uh, so I want to start high level to set the scene um, and really frame the conversation. So when looking at all the different design choices in crypto, it's easy to really get caught up on what you're building or what's being built and not why it's being built. So I want to start with the end with Solana. So like, what is the Solana thesis? Like, what is it built to enable? And I think that will then lead to why you went with an integrated global state machine and not a chain that relies on sharding state with roll-ups uh, but instead relies on like ever-increasing bandwidth and compute.
1: So the what I thought was really cool about crypto was that it enabled permissionless markets. And if you've ever traded in any permission markets, like I, I traded like as a total amateur, I like had connections to like interactive brokers and a, a bunch of other places and I would run my algorithms. Every time I thought that I had alpha, my data would arrive a little slower And my orders would be submitted a little slower (laughs) and just felt like everybody was always getting ahead of me. And that's because those are not fair markets. And what makes them unfair is that there is centralized actors that get the information before you. They get to submit the information ahead of you. And that creates massive amounts of um, value capture for them and losses for somebody an amateur like me. So... What I think is really cool about permissionless systems is that they can create fairness. And the whole purpose of Solana that I thought was really, at least it would be valuable to the world, is that we can create fair markets at the core information level, meaning that bits are transmitted everywhere around the world as equally and fairly to everybody and concurrently at the same time as as physics allow And that submission is also as fair and competitive as as, uh, physics allow. So those are kind of the two problems that we set out to solve. And um, I think this is very different than most of uh, probably every other crypto project that started out at that time, because they started from either the store of value narrative of Bitcoin, we want to build a decentralized money and or settlement guarantees we want to build a decentralized settlement layer and none of those really care about when the information arrives who gets to submit it like none of all those problems are secondary um and they're interesting problems but i think what most people don't realize is if you build the first if you build this like perfect information system settlement is free like it's just inherently part of it so like solving this like much harder problem actually solves all the other ones so um that's really like, I think, kind of our goal, Solana's vision is to be that like perfect single state machine that everyone can rely on for fair access to the data and, and kind of see it as a as a source of truth for the world.
2: So obviously the information syncing globally at the speed of light is kind of the big, um, let's say, KPI that you're optimizing for. It's not obviously KPI, but so and, and with that said, the first pitch for Solana, the elevator pitch, the catchy slogan was NASDAQ at the speed of light. Um, so my first question Blockchain is, is that.
1: <laughs> really... Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I came up with it.
2: <laughs> is on. that um? Is that still you think um? How people should talk about Solana?
1: Um, I think there's like kind of a bit of a trap there to think of it only in terms of trading. This is something that I realized as building, as like building this, is that the building like a Nasdaq competitor is. And like going out there and trying to get stocks listed, I think is that could be like a a thing that people do, but I I think that's a very small part of Web3. I think the fact that you have open permissionless markets really disrupts how the web is monetized, how people coordinate globally, and like all the kind of really cool web three things that you want to do that I think are much more revolutionary than you know reducing the amount of take. That like citadel and nasdaq has um, they're, they're just much higher impact than that if everybody in the world has a cryptographic key and they know what to do with it they know how to sign and coordinate the DAO. that's effectively full global democracy full global direct democracy <laughs> like people can direct funds right with that they can all deposit into a dial that says we're going to buy every coal plant on the planet and shut them down and if people know that that will actually happen Like, I think they will actually take, you know, throw a thousand bucks in there. And that's very, very quickly can become very meaningful change that is uh, like enacted through this. So I think crypto is just much bigger than markets. But what makes crypto interesting, I think, is the, the fact that people have cryptography. This is, I think, Vitalik had a quote that I think cryptography is the first time that defense has an asymmetric advantage over offense. It's not just... Like you cannot break it, you know, with an atomic bomb. You cannot break a T five nineteen signature. This is kind of like the really cool thing about it that <laughs> you, it will take infinite energy to to go uh, break that key, and that that's really really cool. And I think that's a very empowering empowering thing. And I honestly think that like if we could give humans the cryptographic keys, it doesn't really like the networks will just emerge from that. Like the blockchains all the stuff like I think those are implementation details to to a large degree um the way that I'm interested in attacking the the coordination problem is through the the thing that I'm good at which is like low latency optimizations making things fast and I think uh a chain that focuses on that and synchronizing state the least amount of overhead as, as possible has a place in that world where everyone has cryptographic keys and they're doing stuff on chain with them
2: so uh, the, my second question, and you kind of answered it as well, is so you you mentioned that the other chains maybe start from a place of like settlement, which I believe you think is the most boring part of, of, of finance, um, <laughs> store of value like Bitcoin, um, the sovereign aspect, but then yours is globally shared state which is actually a pretty abstract concept. I know
1: some people who aren't too familiar with maybe what that it's means. It's hard to sell it. Like, how do I sell it to like somebody that's like, this is, this is a digital gold. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so that leads me
2: to my question, which is how, how, do you, how do you rally people around globally shared state? Like, how do you know there's PMF? Like, do people care? What makes you think that's the right direction to pursue?
1: Well, I know that it like it eliminates uh, like ways for like this arbitrage kind of I think parasitic value capture. Like when the system gets faster, lower latency, more competitive in terms of who can write, like the amount of opportunities for somebody to extract unfair value goes away. And that's really important to like all the DeFi nerds. I think the reason why Solana has like a resilient DeFi community that's been able to take these major hits is because they get that vision that they know that if I build a project here, I'm not gonna get screwed by all these intermediaries that can extract massive amounts of MEV. And they inherently don't want that. That's bad for their users. Like MEV seems like a good thing, right? Like on, on Ethereum, because it's like, there's like this idea that uh, fees, fees are good, but that's actually value that's extracted from the user. There's zero chance that Senator Warren of the SEC would allow Nasdaq to take the kind of fees that Ethereum does, they would shut that down like instantly. <laughs> like all those right all those regulators have, have like created everything around you know, finance in the United States to prevent that kind of fee extraction from occurring. So I think for crypto to be competitive, it has to be better than the existing regulatory systems, not just better because it's open and permissionless, but actually better <laughs> like it's got to be cheaper faster more open and then i think it can kind of like start replacing those systems and and like be a, add value to the world you know
0: mm, yeah 100 agree let's uh let's talk about some of the ways that salon is actually going about doing that uh you said that the final bottleneck is da bandwidth what what do you mean by that and how does it apply to how performance salon is trying to be
1: so, like, um, this was an intuition that I had early on. We didn't even call it data availability bandwidth. It was really just this idea that the chain, you have a quorum, right? The, this network of nodes that all have to synchronize the state. Uh, that's the current active set of nodes in the quorum. The fast, as fast as they can synchronize that state, is going to be limited by the the slowest one third of the network, your Byzantine threshold, whatever, however many need you need to get to consensus, that slowest one third is gonna limit the, the throughput. Um, so you have to basically optimize and increase that throughput. And what's cool is that when you increase that throughput, you can increase the quorum because what's very, very trivial to build a very dumb consensus <laughs> thing you can build is that every node votes and propagates that vote to everyone else as just part of the no- the way the chain normally schedules all the transactions and all the events this is why solana consensus is implemented as a native solana program like a smart contract and that's why votes are normal transactions is because when you increase tps and capacity and therefore the data availability bandwidth at each node you can actually just add more nodes and increase your quorum and therefore that that like number of users that are getting the data that's around the world increases and you have a fair and more open system. It becomes harder for you to, uh, you know, delay the data from any part of the world and therefore extract value, right? Information value from that. So this is a very, very kind of like brute force approach um, because it's not algorithmic. It's very much based on if we are limited by bandwidth right now in two years, there's going to be twice as much. Maybe we'll need twice as many cores to drive it because there's twice as much data to sign and cryptographically verify. But these are all Moore's law problems that just kind of solve themselves. But what we need to make sure in the design is that we can always increase the bandwidth. Like if we, if the if the network capacities go to 100 gigabit in like four or five years at every data center, there kind of are and in, in a bunch of them already, then Solana could run at 100 gigabit. We don't really care. <laughs> like we shouldn't be limited by the design. We should be limited by the hardware. And if you... If you kind of design around that, you have a very, very scalable system. It's very elastic to, uh, to demand, up to that up to that limit of hardware. Um, so that that's really the final the final bottleneck. And I think we've done a pretty good job with the design because what I see is that the fire dancer folks, without having to make any design changes, are showing much higher throughput by just doing straightforward, okay, you guys had to ship this thing as fast as you could. Let us rewrite it in, in a better, more scalable kind of just raw software architecture way. And, and they can really demonstrate that all the components can, can scale um, very elastically with, with hardware. I'm sure you saw this recently on x.com
2: that, you know, people think that all blockchains and, and obviously all computers do benefit from hardware advancements and, and bandwidth advancements and whatnot but uh you know what what i said was that solana benefits you know like the benefit that you get from each chain is not proportional like they're not, they're not the same thing can you describe like how you think about that like if if when the hardware increases the improvements are made do all blockchains benefit the same why not you know um, how, how should we think about it it de- it really
1: depends on so like that kind of idea of, of like It's not what I kind of made a response to your to your post saying that it shouldn't be that Solana is scaling with hardware. It's that hardware is all you need. And this really came from my experience at Qualcomm. Um, I was there from like 2003 until like 2015 or something like that. And this was when we went from flip phones to smartphones. And literally every year we had an architecture change at the CPU and like a process change and like Arm was getting better. It's just it felt like not that it was Moore's Law wasn't even going at 18 months interval. It was like a 12 months interval time. And it it was pretty crazy. And if you didn't write your software in such a way that it's just going to get better by the next chip, you have to rewrite it. (laughs) So it was like a waste of time to build it in a a way that doesn't scale well with more hardware. and that was just really burned into me as I was doing the software development, trying to keep up with like, the hardware improvements. Um, that's that's kind of like the, the idea there is that like, because hardware can scale at this exponential pace, if you design your software such that it just naturally takes advantage of it, whatever inefficiencies you have in the algorithm, maybe there's an algorithm that's just way more efficient in some parameter, they just shrink. They just become marginally irrelevant. So, all the time you're wasting trying to optimize for, you know, like all, all like squeeze out extra percentages right now, you should just do analysis, figure out where you're not scaling with a number of cores and fix that. Because in, literally in two years, you're going to have twice as many cores. And those other optimizations are going to be half as important. And this is kind of this like exponential curve that's, that humanity's on. Um, you know, my personal belief is if that ever stops, Uh, We should all be working on bunker coin. (laughs) (laughs) We've hit the limit of human civilization. (laughs) Like things are going to get really bad. So I'm an optimist. I don't think we'll ever get there. I personally believe that the number of cores per system per dollar is going to continue to go up because we're not even like stacking them in three dimensions yet. (laughs) Like these are still single layer, you know, like... Kind of single CPU. Not, not everything. Some phones do have stack RAM, but like it this is still we're we're super early in, in terms of how much like normal normal silicon can be pushed. Um so a lot of other chains do get improvements from from hardware. And I, I don't want to say that, you know, like I I don't think that's what you meant with your quote. It's just Solana and all of our engineering is specifically tailored around this idea that. We need to parallelize and max maximize the efficiency across the number of disks, across the number of cores, number of network cards, to make sure that in two years, when the stuff gets half the price, that everything just elastically gets better. Um, and if we achieve that, we're kind of like done with the software architecture. We're done. Like we can kind of rest easy or... Probably not. We have to work on all the other stuff in the application layer, which is infinite amount of work.
0: When you do that, you get to rely on like Intel and AMD and ISP providers with more bandwidth, right? Yeah. I, I, one thing that Solana has been known for is parallelizable um, execution. Why Why is it that something like Ethereum didn't originally start with parallel execution? And is does part of that go into the fact that Solana separates uh, state and programs?
1: Yeah, so this is again from my experience working on embedded systems, like working on, on on DSPs and things like that. If you've ever had to program a DSP or a GPU, or like even like an AVX pipeline on Intel, it's a quite di- it's quite different environment. You have to lay out all the memory and all the lanes for a program ahead of time. So you have to know all the dependencies of all the memory accesses ahead, and then you tell like the CPU, here's the code that you're going to execute across these. Lanes of memory, and then it just zips through them, because once it knows the locations of all the dependencies, it can prefetch all the memory, thus eliminating any kind of uh, speed hit to like a missed memory like uh, load or something like that. And just everything just runs through through the system as fast as possible, and that's really translating like pre- making the system be as efficient as possible in terms of execution. Uh, But that requires a developer to do this work ahead of time. They have to know all the dependencies of all the memory locations and yada, yada, yada. And that obviously eliminates features like global memory that you can just go and call random memory or jump to a random memory location. So the way Solana's runtime is designed is from that idea. The developer does the painful work of figuring out what are all the memory dependencies that their program has and conveys that in the transaction that they. Constructed. And then the runtime is a very easy job. It never basically has a cache miss. So then we can schedule all these events and and execute everything in parallel. Um, It's been like, I think, it's been interesting to see how hard it is to do that once you kind of open the Pandora's box and let developers call random locations and do whatever they want with the state because just the way that they compose programs once they're given that option uh, is very different and they'll take advantage of it right you give them the tools they will like <laughs> treat everything as a hammer and that becomes very painful to rewrite those systems so i think it's going to be very i think parallelism is going to be really really hard for evm and it almost given that the fact that the w- that the way evm is designed it almost makes sense that rollups are the way to go because there you're isolating state with With like tokens and NFTs through a bridge. And then you have a little EVM environment that runs in that state that's all global. Then you have another little EVM environment, another roll-up that does its own thing. And there, that's how you do your state separation, right? You've kind of created parallelism that way. But that's a much more uh like kind of it's far less granular, right? You can't like compose between these states very easily, everything becomes much harder on the composition side.
2: I'm going to ask two questions which won't be that related. So uh, I know you you said you have like a theory that being able to process multiple things in your head is like, uh, improves the brain hardware or whatnot. Um, <laughs> uh, first is having said that actually L2s are probably the better way for Ethereum to scale. I'm curious on your thoughts about Monad, which seeks to do parallel EVM. And second, so what what's... You know, it feels like it should be obvious to most seasoned engineers that you want to scale with hardware. Um, Yet, I would say you're like one of the... I think Solana is probably the first serious attempt at that. And some people will make the argument that, well, the reason is because you can't run these systems on retail internet, right? Like at my house, you need kind of very strong internet connections and whatnot so that people can maximize the number of nodes running. But then you say to that, well, it doesn't matter how low the requirements are. What matters is the incentives to run it. How come
1: that seems to be an unpopular view? Um, well, I think you have to go back to what you believe is is kind of like, what is decentralization? Which is a very th- philosophical question. And I, I'm i a philosopher. <laughs> 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 and I my belief is that all all, like interesting theories have to be grounded in physical reality. You have to see actually something physical happen for this to be a worthwhile theory to even discuss. So if we're talking about decentralization, how does it manifest itself in the physical world? And from my perspective, like the key components of decentralization is that the system is permissionless, like anyone can participate in it. That means that I can physically create my own box I don't really care about the cost there, like the cost could be a barrier we could argue about whether it's 400 a month is too much or fifty dollars a month is like the required amount for decentralization. I think that's almost like if we get to that if the discussion ends up there like I've already won <laughs> right like but I think the key part is that the system's permissionless that means anyone can connect to it anyone can create a box anyone can create the state and the other part to it is that there's enough people that give a shit that it's running that they, even if something fails, they'll continue it. And that latter part is all about the incentive. So in a system that is very cheap to run and cheap to participate in, it, I think it works for Ethereum, but this is not going to work for anyone else. Is like if you started a very slow, expensive chain now that no one's participating in, you're not going to get enough incentives for people to actually care that it's running, that they would go and continue it. So you'll fail on the on the latter part. The fact that Ethereum has succeeded, I think, is because it was early and they created the whole smart contract system and has has a lot of very credible, awesome researchers working on it and really working on that towards that goal of settlement. And it has PMF in in what it's doing, but there's no way it's like if if somebody else tried to copy Ethereum and launch it, they're going to fail for the same reason that if I tried to launch a Bitcoin like slightly but slightly bigger blocks or slightly smaller blocks, whatever, right? Like <laughs> it's just somebody already captured that part of PMF. You need to find another incentive structure that will guarantee that people actually care about the state and continue running it.
0: So Solana is a very um performant, technically like sound chain and I would say it had, uh, had a lot of updates through 2022 that went under the radar. And I think a lot of that was with SPF and some network outages. And some of those were quick and stake to QoS, which we can go into that. But it's really just like network stability. And you had fees, you added priority fee markets, um, isolated fee markets, which I would like to touch on and how that kind of corresponds to L2s. And you also had things like Solang introduced where you can do Solidity on Solana. Um, you can even do move now. Um, I'm curious, with all that work that you put behind it, is it, how easy is it for, despite, this is me being not technical how easy is it for another ecosystem to almost just copy all those updates that you've had? Because to me, Solana is shipping faster than any other chain out there. And is it really just the community that's the part that's not um, able to be forked?
1: Uh, it's, it's like, you know, BSD had jails, like I think 10 years before Linux had namespaces. It takes even if like those and all those engineers knew each other. <laughs> they, like literally we're all friends and all get beers together. It's re- actually really, really hard to yank stuff from one one part of the like one operating system to another one. So I think some things could be somewhat transferable. I think you could take like SVM and run it as a roll up on Ethereum and like I encourage people to do that. like I, I think Eclipse is one of the teams that's doing that. I think we need we just need more SVM. Like environments out there. Um, it sounds counterintuitive. People think oh, I was competitive with Solana. No, it's great. It's like more people that give a shit about SVM. It'll create more value for the entire Solana ecosystem, like Linux, you know. Um, I think those kinds of pieces can be ported over. I think the other pieces, you really have to understand what impact they have and apply them directly to in, in your design. And the real challenge to what I found in, in building the system is that. There's a very, uh, there's almost like an Amdel's fight, not like if, if you're familiar with Amdel's law, it means that you have a complex system and you look at all the components that per, like create, you know, like um, friction or create a cost, right, a compute cost or latency cost. And you try to optimize one of them, even if you make that thing 100 times faster because of all the other parts of the system, the overall impact is very marginal. So you have that effects across everything like you can take solana's like turbine and if you stuck it in in, like ethereum's like block propagation it'd have very minor impacts overall on, on like performance you actually have to go and like take all of these pieces and implement them all at the same time to actually see the overall improvement and that's really really tough like i think that's just really really hard a lot of like especially like a lot of the like I'd say, nearly all the chains that, that are running um, are coming in from this kind of design that's very much like Tendermint-esque. They have like small quorums that do like agreement in a single block then they move in the sequential kind of step function forward. It's very, very hard to optimize those uh, with the kind of techniques that we did. Yeah, I can't
2: even... Like when I'm building a React app, I can't even build, swap my build system, React on a blockchain. So I can't even imagine. <laughs>
3: um. Hey everyone, we'll get back to Empire in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to let you know that we have Permissionless coming up. Permissionless is a big conference that Blockworks and Bankless put on together. It is the biggest, the best DeFi conference in crypto. This year, it is in Austin, Texas, September 11th through 13th. If you've been in crypto for a while, you know that bear market conferences are the best kind of conferences. We have a phenomenal lineup of speakers. A lot of the guests that you hear on Empire are both going to be speaking there. You will have the opportunity to meet them there. And a lot of the topics that we cover on Empire, ZK tech, rollups, account abstraction, MEV, app chain thesis, a lot of that kind of stuff that will all be discussed at Permissionless this year. So because you are a listener of Empire, you get a special discount. That's right. Santi and I negotiated with our marketing team. You get 30% off if you go to blockworks.com forward slash permissionless. Empire 30 is going to get you 30% off your ticket. Today, when I'm recording this, that's about $300 off your ticket. So type in Empire 30 when buying your permissionless ticket, you get about 300 bucks off. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. It's in the show notes. Do it quickly because prices go up all the time. And if you are going to Permissionless, hit me up. Let me know. Shoot me a DM on Twitter. I would love to meet up with you there.
2: You, you just mentioned uh, SVM rollups in, in L2, so I'll use that as my um, opportunistic segue here. Um, I have been trying to get you to write a blog post on this, on this comment, and I'm just going to read it out loud. Um, so you said on Twitter, there aren't any breakout products yet in crypto that depend on low-cost, fast networks. That's just it. If you don't believe it will ever happen, ETH L1 is all you need. If you believe it will, L2s aren't going to work. What do you mean by this? Why won't they work?
1: Well, because they fragment the capacity. They fragment the user base. So, like, um, the UX becomes very, very complicated. And you kind of, I don't know if you ever worked at a big Web 2 company, like, Dropbox, we had one giant MySQL database for all the folders because as soon as you start fragmenting them, links become very hard to create links between uh, like different users of different folders and tracking consistency between those, between two different databases, a major pain in the ass. You would have to synchronize everything for the L1. And that just happens at a large enough scale that that fragmentation creates like massive composability like either UX, Problems because you're like, oh, you're not in this rollup. Go, go to another rollup, kind of thing. Or, or uh, like you have to go resync through the L1, and it's going to create the same kind of costs. And that's very, very difficult to deal with. Um, And you can think of it as like NFTs are like a perfect example of this. You can't have an NFT in every rollup. It actually can only be bridged to one tokens. You can kind of fudge with this and create different markets, but if I want a specific NFT, the marketplace that it's sold is the marketplace that I need to buy in and it can only exist in one of those. And then therefore you've kind of broken up composability of like just the marketplaces for that one single NFT by by creating these different states. So that's, I think, kind of the fundamental challenge with L2s is their trade-off in like this, you get performance benefit because you create this single global lock around a state, and then you can go work on it asynchronously from everything else. But you're creating uh, kind of a, a very hard composability challenge.
0: And so you had a tweet also talking about like the hypothetical example of an L2 building on Solana. Now you said that wouldn't actually affect the fees because um, it's not that you're, comp- you're competing for bandwidth or compute. It's actually the state contention. So can you maybe talk about that and say yeah. how isolated fee markets play into it?
1: This obviously, there's limits to this. If Solana is over capacity, fees will go up. Um, but that means that uh, it's really bandwidth saturated, and then the dollars per byte that you're submitting to the chain are now going up. There could be other ways that it's saturated through compute and other things, but those are mo- those actually are, do tie into state contention. I think a lot closer. Um, so, assuming that Solana itself is not saturated, what an L2 does is that you can think of it as like is a bridge into something that asynchronously process some state (laughs) and the way that that bridge works is that it runs a bunch of orders transactions and then submits those transactions to the l1 and that submission part you can think of it as settlement that can occur in batches asynchronously kind of like at whatever the cheapest opportunity time is and the computation part is occurring locally in in that system and what's going to create fees in that state is if you have you a know, thousand people that all want the same nft or a thousand people that all want to take the same liquidation or trade they will bid up to access that one economic opportunity up to the the cost of that opportunity right so if this if i'm going to make 100 bucks in this liquidation i'm going to bid 99 dollars to go be first because at least i'll make a dollar um That obviously doesn't always perfectly work out like that, but you can kind of think of it at at the most perfect, efficient market. Somebody will always bid up to that to be first to, to like take the smallest amount of profit. So those fees are spiking, not because anything's saturated. It's just simply because there's economic access to state. And that state, you cannot you cannot partition that. Like if you only have one liquidation that's on sale you cannot put it into two different rollups and then have half as many feats it's simply because there's this one liquidation it's kind of like an nft right it's unique and it's a unique opportunity and it doesn't matter if it occurs on the solana one or in a rollup. so this obviously breaks down as if solana itself is saturated like there's so many like economic opportunities happening in solana that all at the same time that you cannot fit them all into the block, and now they're fighting, fighting each other to be first. And at that point, what the validator should do is they should double the cores in the network. We should all like, you know, I will personally fly out <laughs> to <laughs> the <laughs> to 400 data centers or however, however many. Mert will do it. Like everyone will do it, and <laughs> like go, go, double your cores. <laughs> like the network is saturated. Like that. At that point, like this is kind of, I think, the philosophical difference between Ethereum and Solana is that we're like, okay, we're saturated, just double the course, and we're good to go. And then prices then go back to what they should be based on the economic opportunity.
2: So one thing I want to touch on here, um, just to make sure we we do the L2 folks uh, justice here. Um, You said that the reason why L2s wouldn't work is because of fragmentation and probably talking about complexity as, as a developer as well. Um, well, so two things to that. One is that, so are you saying like, do you, are you like bearish that people can come up with abstractions to uh, remedy that? And two, most more importantly, some would argue that you actually only need one L2 and then, you know, you don't need all these L2s. Yeah. What do you say to that? So, so then
1: that system where you have like, basically you take SVM, that runs as many things in parallel as it can, like up to the limit of the, you know, it, it always increases hardware capacity to meet the demand. And then you take all that data and you dump it into uh dank sharding, like perfect implementation of a DA layer that tries to maximize its DA system. So you have one L2, one bandwidth optimized system. That's basically what Solana is. Like <laughs> there's some implementation differences there. like. I think, which I think we're we're all kind of slowly working on. They're just not like a major fire, but like Solana itself can asynchronously execute all the program, all the programs, and then pick forks separately in a separate pipeline than execution of the programs. So that kind of gives you that like data is really quickly confirmed. All the forks are quickly picked, but then these bigger systems can go execute on the programs. You can then do like. Batch ZK verification, if that's what you need. Like all that stuff is all doable and so on Solana. This is effectively like that single L2 that can dominate and and take up all 100% of the DA bandwidth. That design, you have one L2 that's able to take 100% of the DA bandwidth. That L2 needs to implement localized fee markets because if a single use case can saturate the fees for everyone, there's a need for two L twos, right? That breaks down. <laughs> so then you have broken composability. So it's got to implement exactly the same system as Solana does. And that's great. Like, I mean, this is where, like, if you look at like the conversations me and like colluding node have, we end up okay. Yeah, everyone's working towards the same goal. <laughs> like Yeah. But I think yeah, there's so,
2: still there's
1: on. still kind of like a fundamental difference between Solana and something like that. I think like there's not going to be a, a, a demand for Solana to do dang sharding because that really breaks that idea of information synchrony across the world. This is like the one aspect that Solana was started with and I think it's building for, towards that I think is really important for a permissionless, some blockchain to implement. And I think since we're, on, since we're the ones doing it, we should keep doing it. Like I don't want to split the data availability, even though you might be able to get an improvement in, in bandwidth there, it's actually does still have a trade-off. You still need a system that is working for that use case that when I submit one bit like <laughs> here that it's equally observed in like Singapore, in Brazil, everywhere in the world as fast as physics allow, because that actually creates value for the world that reduces the information asymmetry between entity players. It allows for fair markets to exist. I think that's the one core use case that, You really really can't optimize away with like all these other systems l2 itself could actually implement that this is kind of like the l2 that's running in this one da layer could be implement that like perfect synchrony but it's effectively solana it's running the same as fast as possible consensus and then it's dumping its data to ethereum because it's wants that data availability bridge so like sure (laughs)
2: So, you're basically saying, like, uh, if I understand correctly, because I, I might be a little slow today. Um, so, you're saying that, well, L2s and, or the Ethan modularity roadmap and Solana actually have the same end game. And they would basically have to do what Solana is doing today to scale, anyways. Solana just does it in an integrated way. And they don't want to compromise on the uh, information sync being a, uh, synchronous around, around yeah. the globe near the speed of light. Whereas Ethereum does will have to compromise on that unless they add the add the sharding layer to the l2 itself
1: um the data availability roadmap for ethereum the way i understand it is like the end state is like these dink sharding subcommittees that can all sample each other um Mm -hmm. they will be able to increase the bandwidth because part of the sub one subcommittee is getting different blocks than another one so that implies that you don't have a single state that with perfect synchrony right like you 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 effectively are splitting the system um so it's just that you cannot take that optimization without this sacrifice right and if that sacrifice is really really important to you uh, then you would design something like Solana, where everything is built around how do we propagate the data as fast as possible to as many nodes as possible and turbine and all these things come like are the solutions to that. So I think, the but the idea of having like a single rollup that can that can take up all of the bandwidth uh, of the this data availability layer, whether it's Solana or Celestia or Ethereum. I think that idea is, it's like something that I think a lot of the engineers agree is probably the more efficient design. Like if you have a single rollup that can take up all the data availability bandwidth, you eliminate all of, all of these like composition bottlenecks and all this other stuff, but that's very hard. Like I think politically to swallow because what are you going to do? Like say like Arbitrum is a roll up or Optimism. Like the way that free markets work is the like the faster like we get faster development when there are free markets and there's competition. And we don't have the single enshrined thing, so it's good to it's good for Ethereum to actually not enshrine anything at least for like a, probably this decade
0: what what is the key trade off that solana is making
1: hardware is more expensive so if you if you need more bandwidth you got to increase the hardware if you need more bandwidth than ethereum you have more subcommittees and the subcommittee hardware is fixed but that means that each subcommittee is not observing the state at the same time like that that's like you cannot solve both of those problems at the same time there is a fundamental trade off there if you care about like having state everywhere equally You
0: need more hardware yeah it sounds like that's gonna happen no matter what though like if you think about uh vitalik's post that he had it's like block production is gonna use more hardware it's gonna be more expensive it's like solana is just having a path dependent way where they're embracing it from day one instead of working back to what you see in ethereum i think like one good thing about l2s is it allows for a lot of experimentation um but that's something that you could see with the svm and l2s as well so like is that like if you're thinking about the SVM and how that benefits um, Solana, is that kind of the key thing is you might see experiments there that you can adopt, or is it just building out the tooling or something else?
1: Um, I think there's, uh, if you're talking about the application space itself, that's kind of a, just a never ending problem because like every two years, like developers are expected to learn a new stack. It's just kind of been part of my career. Like you shouldn't. <laughs> Uh, and this is where a lot of the work that we did in SVM to use LLVM and these other components is like to allow that kind of experimentation that we can take, move or solidity and start building tooling to integrate better with it. But it's it takes work. Somebody has to drive it and push it and like do the iteration. Um, it's not always clear that there's even demand for that because, um, like, a big part of me thinks that like smart contracts are actually not a language that is like a distribution language. It's not like Swift for iOS, where you get access to their distribution network, right? Or JavaScript for the web. It's a backend system that's kind of more like building on top of Postgres or MySQL or whatever. And do you really care? <laughs> like, do you need that many languages for that? Or like that many solutions? Like you kind of end up with Like this is like the one, two engineers that write kernel code, your driver code. And once your drivers are built, you have all the other people on top that are building all the applications and everything else. But like once those drivers are built, um, I don't know how much innovation there is uh, or like it doesn't seem as big of a surface area for innovation as the application layer itself. So...
2: I wanna zoom out now. Um, I think we've we've had a our a, a little nerd moment, uh, which which I enjoyed. Um so I mean, having said that, you know, Solana and L2s and ETH probably have relatively similar endgames, and it's maybe the path that matters. One thing that comes to mind, and something we've I don't wanna say we, but Solana has been heavily criticized for is BD. And you know whatever that means um how, how do you think how do you think about Solana winning this this BD battle and this
1: getting just more users and developers on the chain um oftentimes like what what is what do you believe is the BD criticism like this the, what is the specific one that like we did not get some brand or logo to to say that they're building on Solana so
2: um I'm just trying to echo the sentiment of that. I've heard. I personally don't think there's such a thing. Um, but so, I mean, like people will say like, well, how come Polygon's getting these deals and Solana is not, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how do you think about that? how should the community think
1: about it? So like the way that I run labs and this is, and like why a lot of the, a lot of the deals we've said no to is because I want labs to get paid for the work instead of paying a customer. <laughs> so, like, That's if so we want to do if we want to do an integration, like, it's gotta like, sure, like we'll do whatever if you pay our engineers to do it. And this is very different from a lot of how other crypto crypto like startups operate. Is they actually pay the customer. Like, yeah, we'll do this integration. We'll give you X amount of millions of dollars to get an announcement and stuff like that out. There's some value to that because I think that does establish like brand trust, but I generally feel like that's um, a lot of money out the door for very little guaranteed like usage because there's no like internal driver at these companies. That's like, I need, this is a problem that I need solved today and I'm willing to pay to solve it. If you can get somebody like a customer to say that, right, you know that you have PMF. So I, (laughs) I am like, always searching for PMF. And I think it's very important to like make sure that all the work that we're doing is, is being driven by some external demand that's legitimate. Um, this may be surprising to a lot of listeners, but literally like the way that a lot of these deals are structured is that you would pay like Brand X to go launch in your chain. And that means that you've not like you're paying your customers. Just feels really, really backwards. <laughs> so from my perspective, is like when we have an opportunity cost, like do we focus on paying some brand or do we put pour it into like, like I'd rather throw a party at a hacker house, honestly, <laughs> like at least like our devs have a good time, or do we put it into uh like funding, like we have a Solana Ventures arm that's done like 150 investments or so far across the ecosystem. There's a, like at least like a CEO's. Like, hey, I'm gonna build this product in Solana and grind for PMF. There's at least a chance of PMF there. So that's been like kind of my uh, how I've been thinking about it. I don't know if it's right. Like, I think honestly, like looking at Polygon, I've had to think about this. Like, would it would it have helped if Solana like was more had more brands, just like more announcements or not? Maybe in the short term. Not sure in the long term. I don't know. These are like really, really hard questions, right? Like you have X amount of months to every month is a swing <laughs> kind of thing, you know? On that same train of thought,
2: two related questions. One is, is that how Solana Labs tends to make money? Like, is that kind of the main business model of, of, of labs? And two, there's also Solana Foundation, which presumably their role is a bit more... Um, you know, getting people to build on build on Solana. Is, is that how people should think about it? Like what's the mental model there?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the way like foundation is there to like make sure that there is like a, it's like the Linux foundation. There's a bunch of companies working on open source software. It's got to make sure that it actually all like lands and moves forward and kind of like shepherd this whole process of validators and, and like multiple core development teams now and, and like things like that. And it's a, big pain in the ass including like just providing the hardware to like tests like large networks like stuff like that like there's just a lot of kind of like kind of nitty-gritty that goes into like that part of the development um labs we try to like do that kind of work where we're like hey we'll build you software for money we try to uh, do investments we try to find teams that need like Um, Like we build templates like, hey, this is like a product that I think should exist. Here's a smart contract for it. We will go out and and do audits and then help those teams like accelerate. And that could be tied into venture, like kind of like a YC style thing. Um, There's a bunch of different ways. We try to launch a phone. Like we we launched the phone. Like <laughs> the phone's awesome. We got like really really good reviews from users and trying to get more of those salt. That's like a, another way to to make money in crypto. Uh, that one is the hardest one. <laughs> so. What would you like to
0: see the Solana community lean into? I I feel like a lot of it's organic. You saw NFTs take off in 2021 and then deepen. I don't know exactly how that started in Solana. You had Hide Mapper, Helium came over from Polygon, um, and then you had Render uh, come from yep. their own app chain. And then there's also DeFi. So you kind of have like these different areas. What would you like Solana to lean in lean into?
1: It's honestly like if I was really good at picking what's gonna have PMF, <laughs> I would be more confident in giving that advice. I think that's really, Fair really enough. hard. Really hard. Um, I really like compressed NFTs because I think that reduction in cost created two new business, two new kinds of businesses. Like one is Drip, the other one is Dialect. So I would really like to see more folks like lean into that, like actually go. Try to imagine like what if you could mint basically NFTs for like for your users for free because the cost of the infra is so low. What are the kinds of business models that you can build now? And like there needs to be more like iteration on those. Like we need like five dialects, you know, not that I want competitors. like we invested <laughs> yeah. in a dialect. I don't, I don't want more, comp- <laughs> like there's like some, some, uh, <laughs> some, some hard like uh, trade-offs there. Like do we want more competitors for existing things or do we want like... The one thing to grow, but I honestly think that there's different iterations you can take on that idea of a messaging app with NFTs. That dialect, the paths that dialect isn't taking instead of a clone. So I'd rather see like people like go like go figure it out and, and, and try something new and different. Um, similarly, I think compression itself, like you can apply it to tokens, you can apply it to generic programs. I know I've been like asking Bert like when compression for tokens, <laughs> stuff like that. I don't know if that's gonna like open up the same kind of use cases as and compressed NFTs did, but I think it's at least worth trying. Um it's those are like the opportunities that I feel like can scale to 10, 20 million users. Like if you have a if you build a social network with like a few million users, it probably would be really, really hard to get funding in traditional VCs with like two, three million actives on your social network. But um it's, it would be a runaway hit in crypto. That would be like like the biggest thing in crypto right now. So I would I would like like to see people take swings at it.
2: So you are the CEO of Solana Labs. Yep. Um, Solana is a network. There's also Solana Ventures and then Solana Foundation. There's a lot of moving pieces here. And I know like running Helios, that's already pretty <laughs> like full time. But you have like a lot of different things.
1: Well, I'm um, only the CEO of Solana Labs. I don't do anything at the foundation. Ventures is part of labs, but it's run by an awesome person, Matt Back. Um, so I like, yeah, most of what I do is a lot of Twitter and <laughs> like product development and like kind of iteration and, and um you see me publish SIMDs and stuff like that to where I think the core engineering should go. But honestly, I'm not um I'm not coding in the kernel anymore, so to speak. So that, like, I would actually love to do that, like, but I would mean dropping everything else. So, like, this is like the big, the big sacrifice of somebody in my position is I can't do the thing that I love and why I started this whole thing in the first place. When when
0: you're watching from afar, Anatoly, is there anything going on in Solana that you would like to change?
1: I think we need to basically fix ecosystem DAO governance. Like I think that's um that was like looking back at the last cycle, there's just been a, a bunch of failures that could have been prevented with just like some very common sense basic structures that have existed in like corporate finance for you know hundreds of years, probably at this point. Uh, and like they're very easy to build with like realms, DAO, or whatever, or squads, and just have like delegation. Like, the reason why proof of stake networks work really well, and um. John Carboneau's like talk on proof of governance, I think, really touched on this. Uh, is that you have well-branded actors that are like people delegate to. So there's like an election. There's an epoch for that election. They're sticky. They're they have they get paid right to be a validator, and they care about that income. So they're all incentivized to keep the network honest and running because. If they all collude to go destroy, they're not all going to collude to go destroy their own value, right? Like the thing that's creating value for them, and that's very actually easy to replicate for governance for DAOs and for like these token-based startups. And if I could had any like if I could wave a magic wand, I would have every company that launches on Solana, every like token project that creates a token, literally have like a standard template do elections out of validators, literally go tell the validators to be on these DAOs and run the DAOs and have very standardized templates for, for token economics. And that would eliminate, say, 99% of the kind of failures that we saw uh, on both Ethereum or Solana in the last cycle. You
2: just said before this that you wish you could still work on kernels, but you, you have to do some other other uh, responsibilities uh, that, that a CEO has for Solana Labs. Um, so that brings up kind of two questions. One is kind of what do you see your role in like the next ten years in in Solana, and two, when do you when when would you ever deem Solana like successful, and you just
1: it's time to pack it up? Um, dang, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to to see like the ecosystem grow so much that. Um, I don't have any impact on all the other things besides I can actually like my highest impact thing that I could do is be like a really strong individual contributor to the code. That's, that's what I would think it would be success. And I, I would just continue doing that. <laughs> like one of, you know, my favorite like mentors that like through my career were like these like gray beards that were there from like the eighties that are just like, you know, principal engineers that just like get to work on whatever really cool, interesting part of the the code base that they want to. Um, That would be like kind of my dream (laughs) to get there. (laughs) So slowly but surely, this is what retirement is to me is that like I get to code in the parts of the system that I care about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Solana, like metric of success, it's really hard, but like I, I would say that there's like these vanity like metrics like tvl or place in the top 10 or like the market cap which i think are like really don't capture like success at all i think if crypto really grew like to the point that it has impact to a lot of people i don't really care about any of those metrics as long as solana is actually coordinating you know hundreds of millions of people's private keys like that they're all actually transacting in the network and there's thousands of devs that are building applications i don't really care about the if we're 10th or third or 20th or 50th even as long as that's happening right like i think that that's kind of like the more important metric to focus on is are we actually like touching people's like lives and in, in, in like a daily or you know even monthly way like fashion like so that would be, I think, success for me. Like I hope crypto grows so fast that Solana's not in the top 10, but we also like are impacting like, you know, half a billion people on the planet. That would be like the biggest success that I could imagine.
2: You said you were a philosopher early on in the episode. <laughs> um I want to ask a philosophical question, which is that, you know, you you've I think I would say Solana the network has been quite successful and, and you've you've touched a lot of uh like lives and, and helped, you know, you know, I mean I, I build my business on Solana, et cetera, et cetera why are you still here you know like what's the why
1: um that's a good question um i don't know like i am like a person that seeks stress too like <laughs> i like i have always taken on projects bigger than i can chew so i think that's part of it um and i want to see us get to that point where we do have like 100 million people, like all with public private keys that are all like trading, doing something like coordinating DAOs, like all on chain. Um, I like honestly believe in that future. I think it would like transform the world. You know, like when people talk about like lack of democracy and transparency, if you had 100 million, you know, like everyone in the world was able to transact on chain, it would be global democracy, right? Like it, it would just really be like transformative. So. I don't know. There's something there that's like interesting enough that like what that's why I get up every day and like I wanna like inch inch us closer and closer to that.
0: Your and, your la- your last two answers in it totally were like poetic, like yeah. too, too, too well said, honestly. <laughs> um what I do we were talking about messaging on top of all this, like for Solana. And I, I do think as new users come in, it's gonna be a whole different story and they're gonna like listen to you, they're gonna see what's being built. And I think the performance optimizations at Solana's working on is going to relate a lot more to like web two developers. It's really going to hit that once we get past like this first wave of users. I am curious because how you just described Solana probably hits really well as someone that is a bit philosophical or, or technical. If you just you know sat next to me in a bar, why would I use Solana? Like how what what would be your your like pitch to an average user?
1: The basic thing that you can do now that's really cool, I think, are like the permissionless payments, just like send start using USDC on Solana you get settled immediately, you have it, it's yours. And it's very, very strong guarantees like uh, on security. Um, that's that I think is like after 2008 and like the crypto collapses and the banking crisis in the US, I think everyone has like a, a bit of understanding that like, whole sto- like owning your keys with private keys, like owning your dollars with private keys is like much, much stronger than like trusting some third party intermediary to, to store them. Um same thing with with like I think crypto. I think that part of it is like that idea of like permissionless money is probably still the most important use case. Um and I think Bitcoin or Ethereum are, are like very important parts of that too. Uh, beyond that, I would say like I really like collecting NFTs. I would like recommend that go find a really cool artist on drip and like go subscribe and like get that experience of actually owning your art. Like DJ and Poet got banned from Twitter, right? For like a hot minute. I yeah. don't know if he's back yet, but like- He's back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no one no one was able to take your NFTs. You didn't lose the relationship, that connection that you have. And that's a really cool thing. Like that is actually a totally open platform for artists and, and like for, and fans to be able to connect to artists. Well, totally.
2: Um, we are going to get less philosophical and more lizard brain. Um, I am going to just ask some rapid fire questions um, and just answer as quick yeah. as you can. But if you want to expand, you know, feel free yeah. to expand. Of course. All right. Um, what do you and Raj disagree on?
1: We actually argue all the time about like what should labs be focusing on, what should we be building. Um, And that's, like, usually things are good if we are able to disagree and, like, fight through it and get the result. It's bad, like, when one of us is, like, disengaged and we don't get that and then, like, the other person just drives it and that thing, it usually ends up like shit. (laughs) So so it's really important that we do disagree and, and like, that process is really important. I don't know what we... I'm going to remember the last thing we disagreed on um he thought oh yeah i was like we should run another nft like uh like kind of like hackathon style event that we did and he thought that we're it's cringe for us to do it for labs to do it it's it's better that the community is doing it (laughs) and and like you see that kind of activity of like artists being promoted through like natural like kind of um organic like places like drip or whatever so i don't know if he's right maybe he's right <laughs> we'll, we'll let the
2: audience decide Yeah, um, what do you fear the most when it comes to Solana
1: uh, like a zero day attack like zero day bug that's like the scariest thing I can't wait until FireDancer's out and there's two implementations of the runtime but yeah zero day is like the scariest thing
2: what is one thing that you were super excited about in Solana but that nobody else seemed to just quite
1: pick up on people do do care about this, but like PDAs, I thought was like the coolest thing that I actually designed in the runtime is <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> this idea of like, because uh, it, uh, it's very, very hard to build these like escrow systems that are able to take ownership of assets. Uh, and like, this is the whole account abstraction, and all those other things. And you look at like, all these are I like had this Eureka moment that there's a way that you can do it with by abstracting the the public key field. So you didn't have to like create an object or type or, or or whatever. You just simply said that like anywhere in the entire like Solana runtime, anyone that interprets like a public key as a like 30, you know, 32 bytes as a public key, you can actually substitute it with a PDA. And it just makes composition like so natural. Like devs don't really have to think about any of the stuff or like it's just naturally flows. So it took a while for that to catch on. Like I would say a solid year, but <laughs> I think people appreciate them now.
0: And, and PDAs are program-derived accounts, by the way, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Address, G-
1: not accounts. Address, yeah. that.
0: <laughs> um Yeah, GPUs are really hot right now with everything in AI. think I think Solana might use GPUs for signature verification. Do you see see a future where GPUs are used more? Because I know in the initial tests when you were showing, like, I don't know if it's 500,000 TPS, whatever it was, you were often quoting GPUs as being used at that time.
1: Yeah, like when we got to a million signatures per second, I was using um, pretty old GPUs at this point. Like, I don't want to say 1080, but it might have been like an NVIDIA 1080. Yeah, it was a 1080 so like four ten eighties would get you to a million signatures per second like the thing is that like ai needs the latest and greatest for this kind of operations that the network needs you can actually do with like pretty old old gpus to get a boost um it's actually like really really hard to use them for that because we without something like asynchronous processing of like the ledger like because the the latency to load the data to the GPU is like in the or- orders of hundreds of milliseconds. So it actually eats into the block time. Uh, what the Fire Dancer guys have done is that they took a very, very old FPGA, like the FPGAs that run on AWS cloud, and they're showing that they can do a million signatures per second. And the latency is like in microseconds. It's like sub one millisecond latency. So that's really, really cool. So. Maybe not GPUs, maybe FPGAs, <laughs> but these are like old, old FPGAs. We're talking like a few hundred bucks, like for, for one of these.
2: How do you think about competition?
1: Um, there's some stuff that I think is good coming out of competition. I think move is like a really well designed virtual machine. So I think that's cool. Um, I try to like basically like the way that you uh, should behave is you should be trying to competing against the best version of yourself and like looking at the whole industry, you're like, okay, what would the best version of me do? (laughs) and How do I beat them? And they would like gobble up all the best pieces out of everyone and like integrate them to, to accelerate. I think stuff that, uh, has been done. That's, that's good. That's worth copying is like, I think move is a really good VM, I think. Polygon show that you can get like somewhere with um, actually getting brand deals and like kind of accelerating some of it. I think that's maybe important for like the foundation to pay attention to. Um, not so much labs, but like um, OP stack define, like is a cool thing. Like the fact that there's like a now like a kind of almost like a product category OP stack the fact that they were able to take this very complicated thing and create into like a word, I think that is pretty cool. Like I think it's worth maybe for Solana to do this. Uh, and like, we're trying to do this out of labs a bit with like um, the game shift developer SDK, where we basically aggregate all of these like, service providers and APIs across all these different companies into like, here's like a single stack for game developers. So you don't have to go like try to figure out how to integrate with 10 different companies. So like something like that, I think like when I see like competitors do something interesting, I try to adopt it in some way, um, at least at Labs. What does everyone get wrong about Solana? That it's not decentralized. That's just dumb. <laughs> like, it's just such a dumb, dumb thing, especially now. Like, hell, we like survived the FTX collapse. The fact that the network went through that shit show and like continued running and people continued building it, it's like the most decentralized thing possible. I honestly don't think that like Ethereum could have survived consensus collapsing at a particular moment in time, that Ethereum would have died.
2: <laughs> mm. What does everyone get wrong about crypto?
1: Um what does everyone get wrong about crypto? That's a good question. <sighs> that I think I think people have to understand that the protocols are not companies. And this is like a lot of that I see at a trade file, like this misconception. That's very, very like they're just applying these old old models and, and like concepts to crypto. like uh, Solana's a bunch of open source code. anyone can fork it, anyone can fork Ethereum. you can go run your own instances of all these networks. And the token is just really representing the spam like defense mechanism for these like communications networks. <laughs> that's it. It doesn't give you like voting rights. It doesn't give you participation rights. Like there's, it doesn't do anything else. (laughs) Like the only reason like why all these other things work is because we're able to coordinate like our decision-making power with like public keys and like quickly come to decisions and like kind of build upon that. But it's a very network effect kind of thing. It's not a... Corporation or a company, it's a bunch of open source devs that are volunteering to work at a particular thing, but anyone can leave at any time.
0: So, what do you think about ETH? What do you What do you think about ETH as uh, ultrasound money? Do you think it's useful that people in that community want ETH to be a deflationary, or is that just
1: marketing? I think it's um, I think it's a it's like a dangerous meme. I think. Like the the problem with it is that like the like if you think of it in terms of that as like an investable thing the revenues on ethereum are are pinned to the value of ethereum itself and like if ethereum drops, so do the revenues and you kind of like have this like revenue death spiral and it's uh like if that's what people are valuing then it's might end badly like this is why I think like I think it's kind of like Worse meme than store of value on like Bitcoin because that idea is just like digital gold. <laughs> it doesn't promise anything. It's just like, <laughs> it's just there. <laughs> it's, it's just there. It's a dumb pet rock. There's no promises of it being anything more or anything else than that. And I honestly think that's like a less dangerous meme. Like people, I think, should be very careful too with how they uh, approach this idea of like ultrasound money. Favorite three programming languages? Ooh, like I was uh, a big Haskell nerd. Actually, like this is like, I would say Haskell, C and Rust. Those are my top three.
2: Okay, two more.
1: Um, Your most unpopular opinion,
2: doesn't have to be crypto, just most unpopular opinion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, Uh, shoot. What is my most unpopular opinion? I don't know. I think, like within crypto, probably the hardware costs don't matter. <laughs> like it's probably like that. That one's the most unpopular one. I don't know. Besides that one, what else that I have that's pretty unpopular? I don't know. I'm surrounded by by yes men. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh no. <laughs> uh, well, uh, totally. You're obviously a founder yourself. Um, for of, of, of Solana and you're the CEO of Solana Labs there's obviously a lot of people that want to build the future of crypto uh and especially on Solana what advice would you give to aspiring founders
1: um i think it's like really really hard to build a company like you saw i don't know if you saw like uh Mark Andreessen's post they are 4000 investments 15 Make it to twenty two hundred are like profitable or break even or better. Fifteen become companies that have a hundred million more in revenues. So like, and those represent ninety seven percent of all the returns. So you can kind of think of it in terms of that. Like your 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 probability of success as a founder in anything, even outside of crypto, is fifteen and four thousand. <laughs> Which is <laughs> and like you're that kind of dream success, right? Like. Two hundred out of four thousand break even, <laughs> and that that you can consider like a really solid like founder story. Um, given that, I think it's awesome. Like I think this is the most transformative, amazing experience. Like if this, if you're like if you like stress, <laughs> uh, like <laughs> you, like I seek stress, right? Like if you seek stress, if you're one of those people that has like low heart rate or whatever, it's an <laughs> awesome, very rewarding very insane experience you will feel like you're on top of the world or like the depth of despair like every other week um (laughs) (laughs) uh, and you meet like a lot of people that become really close friends from that shared experience that you otherwise wouldn't have i think that kind of trauma really like brings people close together
0: (laughs) you're really encouraging new people to come to the ecosystem (laughs) and,
1: and i think the solana community has awesome like kind of Awesome founder network, uh, really good, I think, VCs, really good founders that help each other, really good businesses to work with. And uh, it's, I think, one of the best places to go actually start a business. Um, I don't think your probability of success is going to really change with what, whether you're in crypto or not or which layer one you pick or not. I think that's honestly like those are minor points um, at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Talking about community, it's just Solana, is a, as you said, they, uh, you chew glass at Solana, right? And it's like over the last year or so, it's like you've been punched in the face a number of times, but you keep coming back. And to me, um, the community is really stronger than it's ever been. Um, and yep. that's that's why I think this is so impressive. And um, we clo- we'll close this up now. But uh, Anatoly, thanks so much for joining uh, today. I hope this conversation helped anyone that's either ignored what's going on in Solana or misjudged it. Um, I think it's gonna be a really exciting year and it's a great community to be part of. So Anatoly, thanks so much for joining us. For sure. All right, right, we'll see you next time.